Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Hey there, everyone. It's good to be back with you. Last week, we were talking about the Passover because that is where we are at. Uh, It's the week of Passover and John chapter 12. And so we took a little detour back to Exodus 12 to talk about what what that means. What is the Passover? What were they celebrating? And how does that uh, play into the week we're in now? And how does that affect us as followers of Jesus as well? Hopefully that was a blessing to you. Um, If you haven't listened to it already, uh, go back and listen to it because it sort of frames where we're at in Jerusalem at this point. But now we're at a a portion of scripture called the triumphal entry, which is recorded in all four gospels. And so it's, it's a big deal. This is really the only time that Jesus or God in his plan, like allows for sort of a public spectacle of what Jesus came to do. And so we're in John chapter 12, verse 12, where it says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So we see the world uh, going after him, this crowd going after Jesus uh, because of what he had done in to Lazarus. He, he had risen him from the dead, right? So he sort of gained this momentum for this triumphant moment of entering into Jerusalem. We remember, um, if you remember, it, people were asking, they were, there was a stir, like, was, is Jesus going to show up to Jerusalem for the Passover? Because that was the desired place to celebrate Passover, as we had talked about previously. That Passover was the ideal, or uh, Jerusalem was the ideal place to celebrate Passover. And even if you couldn't make it to Jerusalem, there's sort of this ongoing, hey, maybe next year we'll be able to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. So Jesus shows up and we see there's a large spectacle. There's the palm trees uh, or the palm branches, the Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So he's declared as the King riding in. And remember, this sort of stirs up this 
what we had talked about, about Judas Maccabeus, how he came in to um, rescue Israel or uh, overthrow the leader who was uh, uh, oppressing them and uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, who is very full of himself. And so they were, again, looking to Jesus to be that kind of king, that he would slay Rome and restore Israel to their former glory. And we, we see this kind of Jesus that they were looking for in Revelation 19, where it says in in verse 11, then I saw the heavens. Uh, For those of you who don't know uh, much about Revelation, it's a uh, vision. Uh, Most of it is a vision of the end times. And there's a lot of symbolism and, you know, people go back and forth with their thoughts and views and opinions on, on what Revelation is saying and what it's uncovering. But here in Revelation 19, it's talking about the end, uh, when Jesus will come again. Um, but this was sort of what they were looking towards. They were hoping he would come in like this. And in Revelation 19, it says, then I saw the heavens open up and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe that's dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. So this is clearly talking about Jesus. We know that from John 1. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this is sort of a way that people even continue to look at Jesus. Um, We look at this like really harsh, like... um, bringing the sword. I've even talked to people who, uh, you know, it's all over the place, like on social media and, and wherever you look right now, everybody wants to take up a cause. And I think they see Jesus, even Christians, you know, we like to find something in scripture to stand by and stand behind. And today I want to point out something that is really interesting about the way Jesus, uh, is leading where we are at right now as Christians. And within this triumphal entry, how are we to view Jesus? Jesus will one day come to wage war against his enemies here on earth, but he rode in on a donkey's colt. It was well known that when a king entered a land on a white horse, he meant war. But when he rides in on something like a donkey, it means he is bringing peace. It means he is bringing peace. And we see that it says he did these things in order to fulfill uh, a, a prophecy, a scripture that is out of uh, Zechariah 9, where it quotes it here, 
fear not in verse 15 of our text. Uh, it says, fear not daughter of Zion talking about, uh, Jerusalem, uh, behold, your King is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So this was all a part of the plan that Jesus would come in bringing peace. Um, and I know a lot of us, you know, or at least I've heard a handful of us who, you know, look to this this text that we we just read through in Revelation 19. And then we see scriptures like in Matthew 12, where Jesus says, you brood of vipers, or we even see him braiding the whip um, in, in John 2, right? Where he goes into the temple that we've talked about. And the interesting thing is those are such rare occasions that we see um, Jesus in in that form. And in Matthew 12, where he says, you brood of vipers, he's, he's speaking into the hearts of who he's talking to because they're doing one thing, but he can see into their hearts. Remember, we Jesus is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. So he can see into people's hearts. And in that text, he's looking into the hearts of these men who are doing one thing openly, but he sees the rotten core. And it also, when he's braiding the whip, it, in John 2, when he enters into the temple, and we've We've maybe talked about this, but to sort of lean into it one more time. In Deuteronomy 6, like we talked about last week, Israel would recite something called the Shema. And it was all about loving God. Um, Hear, O Israel, um, here is the Lord. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And then it went on you know, Jesus confirms this when he talks about this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we see the Shema's all centered around loving God and loving people. And when Jesus entered into the temple, um, which was sort of the outer temple area, not the inner um, temple area, but he enters into the temple and what they are doing are... Um, they're taking advantage of people and distracting people from their access to God, which interferes with loving God, right? And then they're also ripping people off. So they're not loving people. They're, they're ripping people off for their own gain. And so they are going against the very fabric of what they were created to do. And so Jesus takes action against that and he he doesn't like it, which is is reasonable. He sees into the hearts of men. And when we see him do these things, like in Matthew 2 or 12 or John 2, or we see him riding in on the end after he has made a way for us to be saved from the slavery of sin, at one point he will come to bring war and to set all things right. Um, but where we're at in John 12, in his triumphal entry, he sits on a donkey. He is a bringer of peace. And I just want to bring to mind today, because in this day and age, we feel like we need to be on the attack. But we see clearly in scriptures like Deuteronomy 32 um, or Romans 12. Uh, let me pull it up here, actually. Deuteronomy 32, it says, vengeance is mine and recompense their foot shall slip in due time for the day of their calamity is at hand 
and the things to come hasten upon them. In Romans 12, it says, similarly, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. It, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So we see God will come. Jesus will come riding on the horse. That vengeance is his. But what are we called to now? Look at the way that Jesus came riding on a donkey or even look at, you know, as he fulfilled the the scriptures like Isaiah. In Isaiah 9, it says, for, us, for to us a child is born. Many of us probably know this very well because it's a Christmas, Christmas type uh, prophecy. For, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus comes into this town, the town of Jerusalem at Passover, his only uh, public uh, spectacle of who he is, and he comes in peace to set peace and to set things right. I just want to call to mind in this day and age where there is so much disunity, there is so much, much dysfunction in our world, would we walk into this world shaped by the person of Jesus, shaped by his spirit into his likeness, that we would be bringers of peace as well and not war, bringers of peace bringers of peace. It says in Galatians 5, but I say to you, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's sometimes when you get on and there's a certain topic or whatever it may be, and you want to get after it, right? There's this knee-jerk reaction to, to respond in a certain way. But it goes on in verse 18. Again, this is Galatians 5. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, uh, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when we're acting in these ways, it it goes as far as to say we will not inherit the kingdom of God. But just like the bringer of peace, riding on a donkey, the prince of peace, wonderful counselor, that, that we are called to something else. In verse 22, you should know this very well. Galatians 5 verse 22, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Can, can you see maybe in your life how you have maybe been reacting to our current situation to the current affairs, whether it's the pandemic or just the disunity within our, our country and the world, where maybe we have been acting not by the fruit of the Spirit, but by the other list. And I want to call you to be a bringer of peace, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. We fight in a different way. We are like guerrilla warfighters for the kingdom of God and the way we fight is through worship and love and peace and gentleness and kindness and self-control. And through that, God shines a light and brings, brings his love to this world. We are called to be salt, that we bring taste in this bitter, nasty, foul world. And I want to call all of you who are listening to be like Jesus, let his spirit shape you into his person, that you would be a person of peace, a person of love and joy and kindness. Come on, let's bring his goodness and his faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Let's be a people who are patient and wait on the Lord before we act. Could we do that together? And if we're struggling with this, could we maybe fast? You know, whether it's social media or having a certain conversation with a certain person or whatever way that maybe we're just falling into the trap of, of really the fruit of the flesh rather than the fruit of the spirit. Could we maybe fast whatever we're doing and spend some time in the word of God, in silence and solitude, asking the spirit of God to shape our hearts and minds. That we would really, our lives, our speech, what we do, what we say, and who we live for would drive us forward instead of what we want, what we want to say. What if God dictated what we said, the one who created us and purposed us for love? for loving him, for loving people. What if we lived for him instead of us? I want to challenge you with that today. I love you guys. I cannot wait to talk again with you next week. Uh, looking forward to it. <laughs>